All right, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Uh, that is where we're going to be today in, in our text. And I am, uh, I'm really excited about this story. It was an interesting one. And I'm like, Lord, what, you gonna, what are we going to preach on that today? Uh, but I believe he's given us a message for, uh, for you and for me and for us today as a church family. So Acts chapter 12 is where we will be. Uh, read along with me, if you will. Acts 12. Uh, about that time, uh, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, 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 <laughs> delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by God, uh, to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with chains and sentries before the door regarding the prison. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light uh, shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that uh, he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. So when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord. It was like shh, just open. They went out, went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, his mother, and John, uh, uh, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were what? Praying. And when he knocked at the door uh, of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. She just kind of left him there. He's knocking at the door. Then said to her, you're out of your mind. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, uh, it's his angel. It's not him. It's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, knocking, and knocking. And when they opened, they saw him, were amazed, but motioning, to, uh, motioning them with his hand to be silent. He was like, be quiet. I'm trying to escape these people. Uh, uh, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell those things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. We were supposed to stop there in our text, but I'm going to go in and finish chapter 12 today. Now, Herod was angry. Angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, uh, that's a good name for your next kid, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put out his royal robe, put on his ro royal robes, and stood at his seat, uh, took it, sorry, took his seat among the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. 
But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. All right, let me pray again. We'll jump into this text today. God, again, we love you. We're so thankful for your word, that it is true. Uh, we can trust it. And today, uh, we're just, we, I pray that you'll reveal something through me. Use me today as your instrument of declaring the good news that you've left for us in your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is an incredible story. Would you agree? I mean, it's not something we hear, but I love that about Acts because we hear a lot of these stories like this, and they're just almost incredulous to read the things that they're getting to witness, the things that are happening around them, uh, just unbelievable happenings that the Holy Spirit is actually causing to happen today. And so I think there are six pieces that I want us to look at around our text today. And the first one that I want to show you is persecution. We see that in uh, chapter... Uh, Chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, uh, the brother of John, with his sword. And when he uh, saw that it pleased the Jews, he uh, proceeded to arrest Peter also. We'll just stop right there. You've heard the rest of it. Well, you know what? One more, one more verse. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. And so they faced a lot of persecution. And we know that from, from our preaching through Acts already, that persecution was heavy on the church because they were following Jesus and they were persuading other people to follow Jesus. And the Jewish leaders at this time didn't like it at all. They were not pleased with the message that they were preaching. And so, uh, and so they were finding every way at the time to try to persecute the new church, persecute the church, uh, uh, chase them down, put them in prison, kill people. And we just see that happening before our very eyes in Acts. And so the church was under great persecution. And here's the deal. These were lots of normal people that faced this persecution. This wasn't just the great stalwarts of the faith that we read about. But even the stalwarts of their faith were what? Just normal people. They were just normal people like you and me that got called into service for the Lord. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And because the Spirit filled them up and called them to a mission, they were normal people like you and me called to do something extraordinary. And the people around them didn't like the fact that they were being used in this way to draw people and, and point people to Jesus. Let's think about persecution today. Why do you think Christians, or why do you think you, maybe, or me, why don't we face that kind of persecution today? We're not as bold, okay? Yeah. Yeah, how about that? What else? What else? Why don't we face persecution today? I have some ideas, since you don't. <laughs> I would say, one, very few of us know the gospel well enough to even tell the gospel to somebody. I would dare say that the vast majority of, I'd even say in this room, if I came to you, if I put a microphone in front of your face, give me a microphone. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, everybody said, wait, what? If I were to put a microphone in front of your face and it said, hey, will you tell me the gospel right now in front of the people that love you and care for you in your same church, could you say the gospel today? 
I hope you can. I hope you're rehearsing that in your gospel community groups, teaching people how to share the gospel, teaching people to declare the gospel message. But could you even tell what the gospel message actually is today? People that we read about in Acts today, they were persecuted because they shared the gospel. The gospel message that the only hope was found in Jesus. And, and so we don't face that kind of thing today because many of us just don't know the gospel. Secondly, I'd say many of us are ashamed of the gospel. You might say, well, I know the gospel, preacher. Well, are you ashamed of the gospel? Do you share the gospel? You tell other people what the gospel message is. Are you willing to talk to a friend or a family member or a coworker, or someone at school and tell what the actual gospel message is? Because that, these guys could have known the gospel. Anybody can know the gospel. But it's a big difference whenever you share the gospel. Whenever you tell someone, when you declare what it is, that Jesus is our only hope, that Jesus is the one who rescues sinners, that Jesus is our only hope in life and death. Well, then it gets really serious. Because what if the person you're telling the gospel to doesn't agree with you in, your, in the gospel? What if the person that you're talking to or somebody else overhears you and begins to challenge you about what the gospel is about? Then what do we do? There you go. Did you hear what he said? Man, he, he's stealing my notes. Uh, <laughs> what he's saying is true because the Holy Spirit takes over those things. If the Spirit lives within you, and we are bold enough to go in the power of the Spirit, then the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, helps us in times whenever we declare the gospel. We don't have to be really good at it. We don't have to be some orator about it. We should know it. But the truth is, if we're willing to go, if we're willing to go, then the Spirit is willing to help us in our weakness. So some of us don't know the gospel. Some of us are ashamed even share the gospel, but I would say the truth is some of us have never been changed by the gospel. In our good southern culture, where most people would call themselves Christians, the, the, the vast, well, the biggest part of the truth is some of us don't really have the gospel understanding and the spirit that actually lives inside of us. It scares me. It's one of my great fears as your pastor. One of my great fears is that many will come and sit in, in services just like this week after week after week. And I promise you, if you're new to Refuge, we, we declare the gospel week after week after week. Because that's what, that's what we have. We got the gospel. We got nothing else. We've got the gospel. And that's the main thing. And we're going we're gonna to teach and preach it every week. But my fear is you can sit in a service like this week after week after week and the gospel never having changed you, never having made you a new creation, you never having repented and believed the gospel and turned from your sins and followed Jesus. We should not be ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. These, these people faced persecution during this time because they were uh, sharing the gospel. Secondly, we see in this text that there's great prayer that's actually being served up. Uh, verse 5, look at verse 5, what it says. Uh, it says, uh, an earnest prayer, but, uh, excuse me, uh, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer, circle that, earnest prayer was, uh, for him was made by God into the church. Look down in verse 12, it says, um, 
uh, when he realized this, so he was, uh, had, uh, he realized that what he was in was not a dream and he was actually released from prison. Verse 12 says, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were what? Praying, praying. circle praying right there. Scripture tells us that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Effectual. How are your prayers? Fervent prayers. That, you see that? There, there's a difference in our rote prayers that we say over and over again and the effectual, fervent prayer. What is fervency? What is it? When you say fervent, what do you, what do you have in mind? Earnest, yes. Pleading. The effectual pleading, earnest, deep prayers of a righteous man availeth much. How do you pray? Are your prayers rote? I'm telling you, I, I've heard lots of my family before, my, my extended family when I was growing up. Man, we said the same blessing and week after week. Anybody else see that? Raise your hand. Let me see where you are. Am I, am I alone? Just a handful of you that are willing to say it. We said the same prayer over our food every week. Are your prayers the same way? Where you sing the same prayer over and over. Are, are you regular in your prayer life? I mean, is your prayer life consistently a, a regular basis that I'm praying regularly for people? Is it not just a habit for you, but something that is regular and ongoing? Or are you rarely pray? You think about your own prayer life. Is it anemic, which means small, struggling, barely a part of your life? Or is it something that is robust? Where my, my prayer life is what gives me life. That I'm trusting the Spirit to help me in my weakness. I'm trusting the Spirit to help me in my time of need. I'm trusting the Spirit whenever I can't do this on my own. That's what we're reading about. Reading about things that happened in the early church that they could have never accomplished on their own. But they depended solely on the Holy Spirit and their prayers to God. How is your prayer life? We've seen... Uh, prayers get answered time and time again. Give me some examples of answered prayer. I got one minute. Give me some examples of answered prayer that you've seen in your own life. We've seen in this church life. Give me one. My husband got a job. Husband got a job. There you go. You got to say them loud. I'm deaf today. <laughs> Healing. Healing. Yeah. What else? Brother got baptized. Yeah. Brother got baptized. Yeah. What else? Yep. Student trip last year. Yep. Preacher got a kidney. Amen. Come on. Yes. Preacher got a kidney. Amen. Yeah, church. Yeah, we're, we're getting this thing done. We see God answering prayers. We, we, all we have to do is open our eyes around us and see the work of God happening around us regularly. So prayer is crucial. Crucial throughout the scriptures. It's crucial for us today, let prayer be a regular part. It was a regular part of the early church. They were new. They, they were seeing the work of the Holy Spirit around them. They prayed earnestly because they believed that the Spirit was actually going to do something. It's actually going to work and, and work on their behalf for their good and for the good of others around them. Then we would see, because that was true, they believed power was happening. Look, now, uh, verse 6, now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with chains, sentries at the door, regarding the prison. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. Light shone on the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him. He's like, ugh, 
wake up, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not, uh, he did not know what was being done, but the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed by the... Uh, and when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened for them on its own accord. I mean, this is not just stuff we see in the movies. This is in your Bible. That they're just running. They're like, oh, no, here's a gate. What are we going to do? How are we going to get past the gate? Because the gate's locked. It's like, you know, and it opened. I mean, your Bible says that. I mean, that's incredible. Incredible. I'm telling you, there's a thing that I've been praying for for a long, long time. Nobody knows about it but me. I've been praying on my own, very specifically, and I'm watching the Lord actually do this. There are times that I go, I don't know if you're going to do that, Lord, or not. But he just keeps on. He just keeps on. And it is incredible to me that um, the, the miracles of God, like things like this, I don't know how we're going to make a way, Lord. And he makes a way through prayer and supplication and asking the Lord, believing that the Lord is going to do something. Prayer is such a big deal. With man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You believe that, church? I mean, you believe that. I mean, really, really believe that. All things are possible. We see that all through the scriptures, Old Testament things. We see Noah and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, uh, Moses, Jesus. Think about all the things that we read about Jesus doing, calming the sea, raising the dead, People that can't hear to hear again. People can't see to see again. What we're seeing in those miracles is he is setting everything right. He's like, I know this is not right, but I'm going to set this thing right. This is just a glimpse into what's going to be whenever all this comes back together. Power and prayer. Next is people. Look at verse 11 through 17. He says this. When Peter came to himself, he's like, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many were gathered together, and they were praying. And we you know, read about him knocking on the door, but he had set a people apart. There was a people there for Peter to go back to. And what was happening is, is in this text, in this text, it's more important. What, what you'll end up seeing in, in, the, uh, in the reading of this is he goes to this people, and then he's not spending a lot of time there. What does he get busy doing? You know? Look in your Bibles. Don't look at me. Look in your Bibles. Look in your Bibles. Look down close to the, uh, look what it says in verse 17. Most of them, he's like, be quiet. Uh, and he said to them, he said these things, um, uh, uh, he, he brought him out of prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers, and then what? Then he departed and went to another place. Let me, what, let me tell you what I, I, I take from that. It's like, he got out of prison. He busted him out of prison. He goes to the people that he loves and sees, and he spends just a small amount of time there, and he's out again. Why is he out again, do you think? He's going to share the gospel. He's going to tell more people about the fact that Jesus is alive. He's going to tell more people that, let me tell you, your only hope in life and death is with Jesus. I, I've seen this resurrected Jesus. And I want you to know about more about this resurrected Jesus. And so the Acts is chopped full of this very thing. Peter was rescued to be a missionary. 
He was rescued not to just go and like live the easy life. He was rescued so that he can go and tell more people about this Jesus that he knew. This resurrected Jesus that he knew. That's why he was rescued. That's why he was set free. Not to live the posh, lavish life and just be out of prison, but so more people could know about Jesus. And so we just see him pressing on. Uh, verse 18 says, Now that day came and there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched him, he didn't find him and then examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea and Caesarea and spent time there. So he pressed on. Despite the persecution, despite the opposition, he just kept going on. One sole calling, one sole purpose because the resurrection made a difference to him in his life. Listen, the resurrection made a difference to him and his life and he wanted more people to, for that resurrection to make a difference in their lives too. And so he pressed on. Lastly, the plan of God. This is interesting that I thought too. It did not include James, the brother of John, to live. It did not include James, the brother of John, to live. I thought that was a really interesting piece of our text because it said it at, back at the very beginning. Uh, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And, and the story moves on. And here's the thing. We don't know why. We don't know why that God allowed James to be killed at the end of a sword, at the tip of the spear, but he was. We don't get an explanation. There's no part of the text that says, here's why God allowed for James to be killed. Uh, and and uh, this, is, this is why this was God's purposes in allowing James to be killed and, and not Peter to be killed at this time. We don't get an explanation. What we do know is that despite his death at the end of the spear, the purposes of God carried on. Sometimes in our own lives, we don't understand what's going on around us. The chaos, the calamity, the sorrow, the death that might occur, that seems sometimes senseless, seems sometimes unfair, seems some like, why in the world, God, are you allowing this? Why would you allow James to be killed? But the purposes of God continue despite the chaos that surrounds us. Lastly, from our text, don't play. That last piece of the text that I read from 20 to 25 uh, was just don't play around with God. Here, here what we find in this text is Herod, he was angry. He gave this great speech. Uh, and verse 22 uh, was, was interesting. Look what it says in 22. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of man. They were like, hail this guy. He's awesome. Voice of a God. And immediately, look what it says in 23. Immediately, circle that in your, in your Bible. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give a, a God the glory. So immediately, he gone. He done. He's out. 
because he's not giving God the glory. The Bible goes on to tell us that he was eaten by worms. He didn't get a king's burial. He got no fanfare. It was just like, you out. Deuces. Out. Scram. And then verse 24, uh, verse 24 says this. Sorry, guys, I lost that there. Verse 24 says this, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Why? Because of God's plan. God's plan. The word of God increased and multiplied. Here's what I'm going to say. Don't play. Don't play around with God. Don't play around with the gospel. Don't play around with you calling yourself a Christian and not following Jesus. I ain't saying that God's going to strike you down. But I ain't not saying that either. I'm just saying don't play. This is not a child's game. Following Jesus is serious business. This dude was blaspheming God. The people were blaspheming God, calling this king, you know, he was something else. And they were worshiping him and saying, hey, you know what? The voice of a God and not of man. There is one God. The man Christ Jesus. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. The one who spoke the world in existence. The Bible says that the world is held into existence by the power of his word. You understand that? I mean, there's all these theories about, you know, I don't even know any of these space theories. Don't really matter to me. But the scripture says that everything is held together. Everything is held together by the power of his word. Jesus says, earth, don't go out of your orbit. You know what it doesn't do? It don't go out of its orbit. It stays right where it says to stay. If God says, if, if Jesus were to say, hey, I need you to, I need you ocean to just roll over that edge just a bit. You know what that ocean does? It rolls over that edge just a little bit. I'm going to tell you, everything is held in its place by the power of the word of Jesus. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Don't play. Don't play. All right, what do we do with stuff like this? I'm to page two. Here's what, um, here's what we do with, with, with stuff like this. Like Peter, people are called for God's purposes. Listen, you're gonna, if you're on mission, like, like Peter was, like, the, like, we, like we're reading about the people in Acts, if you go on mission, which is to tell other people about Jesus, and if you want to live for Christ in your schools, you want to live for Jesus in your neighborhood, you want to be a follower of Jesus so people go, hey, that dude follows Jesus. Hey, you know what? That guy's a Christian. You know what? That person, that family, whatever the thing is, those people follow, that, those people follow Jesus. There's going to be times that you are going to face persecution if you're living that way. Here's what's also going to happen. If you begin to live for Jesus and you mess up just a little bit, those people are going to go, I thought that dude was a Christian. You know what? That's okay. We're going to mess it up. We're going to mess it up. This cat's going to mess it up. Trust me. I am the chiefest of sinners in this church. I need Jesus just like everybody needs Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. We all need Jesus. We need the Spirit to help us in our weakness. 
All of us. We're going to mess it up. But people are called for God's purposes to use. You'll face persecution. You will face persecution in this life for what you do and what you say. But Jesus says, Jesus tells us that in this life you will face persecution. But what? Take heart. What? I've overcome the world. You're going to face persecution. But Jesus is, the Holy Spirit is with us. The Godhead is with us. He has overcome the world. So your call for his purpose. Secondly, you can pray. You can pray. I underlined you. Because you don't need to leave it up to the professionals. You can pray. Believing, trusting, expectantly, regularly, specifically. The effectual, fervent prayer of a preacher has power. Is that, what the text, is that what the Bible says? What does it say? The effectual, fervent prayer of a what? Righteous man has much power. How are we made righteous? We repent of our sins, put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. Whenever we repent and believe the gospel, we become Christians. Whenever we become Christians, who indwells us at that point? We've already talked about this two weeks, few weeks ago. What indwells us? What? Holy Spirit indwells us, immediately indwells us as followers of Jesus. And you can pray. You have access to the Father through prayer. What were these people doing while these dudes were in prison? What were they doing? Praying. Let's keep going. I'm, I'm running out of time already. You have the power living in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that rolled the stone away from Jesus' tomb. The same power that raised him from the dead lives within you. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. I'm going to turn there. You're welcome to turn there with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 says this. Um... You have the power living within you. Here, here's, what, here's what it says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famineness? Or, or famineness? <laughs> Fam it's a new word. Famineness. Famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so we have the pa that, that power that, that's talked about, that Paul talked about and wrote about in Romans is the same power that lives within you and me today. You are his people if you are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have been, you have been brought from death to life. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about us being dead in our sins, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us made us alive in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian, you have been made alive, spiritually alive in Christ Jesus. You have the power of God in the Holy Spirit living within you. Amen? Yes. 
You witness the moving of the Holy Spirit even in our own midst today. Just like we see in Acts chapter 12, we see the Spirit at work here today. It may not be open in a jail cell, but right here at Refuge, we see the power of God rescuing people from their sin. Rescuing people from being dead in their trespasses and sins and being made alive in Christ together. The same thing is happening here. Hey, if you become a follower of Jesus within this last year or, say, 18 months, raise your hand. I just want to see where you are. Where's your hand? Raise your hands high so people can see them. Look, just look around. In our little church, look at all the people that God has rescued. These people were dead in their sins just not too long ago. And God has saved them and given them a new life and made their hearts alive in Christ Jesus. Yes, that's incredible. We are witnesses of the moving of the Holy Spirit in our midst today. I mean, we're seeing him work. Listen, there are many churches, and I, I grieve with some pastor friends of mine, who don't get to see the power of God moving within their churches. They faithfully stand in a pulpit in their churches week after week, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, and they don't get to see the fruits of their labor sometimes. We get to see that by God's gracious gift. We get to see that and be a part of that and witness that uh, regularly here at Refuge. And we're going to see even more. I think uh, there's a couple people going to be baptized, I mean, possibly next week. So excited about that. But you're witnesses of the moving of the Spirit here in our midst. And you are living out the plan of God as it unfolds today. Sometimes that includes in the plan of God some untimely and even unforeseen deaths around us, just like we saw in Acts chapter 12. And so even though things like that happen around us, we're still called, you and I are still called to live like we see Peter doing. Living out this calling, despite what happens around us. That, yeah, yes, should we grieve when our loved ones die? Of course we should. Of course we should grieve the loss of a loved one. But our calling is not just to stop there and live in that grief. Our calling is to press on with the upward calling that we have in Christ Jesus. To press on, to press forward, to press in so that more and more people, as they face death, just like we all will, won't have to face it with no hope. That we'll face it with the good news that we know Christ, that we know Jesus, that we've been rescued from our sin. And to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord, living out the plan of God as it unfolds. Writing your notes if you're a writer. Uh, because just for sake of time, Colossians chapter 3. Also what it calls for us who have, who are, are, are as we're seeing this thing unfold today, what we should see in, in, as followers of Jesus with one another, you should see me putting things to death in my life. Sin should be putting, being put to death. The way I live, the way I speak, the things that, that interest me that are outside the house, uh, outside the things that God would want me to be a part of, you should see me putting those things to death. We, we should see each other putting those things to death. And if we're struggling with putting those things to death, our calling is not to isolate ourselves. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. The lie of the enemy will tell you, young people, listen. Old people, listen. The enemy will tell you, hide that stuff. And church people don't need to see you, them sins, and you ain't put to death yet. Hide it from them. So that they don't get to see it. And the best thing for you to do is just isolate yourself so they don't get to see what's happening in your life. And that's a lie from hell. 
What, the, the, what we're called to do is to help one another in our weaknesses. If you've got a sin that is besetting that you just can't seem to put to death, the best thing for each of us to do is to find a brother or a sister and go, man, I'm struggling here. I can't seem to put this thing to death. Will you pray for me? Will you help me? Will you hold me accountable to that? Will you ask me regularly, hey man, how's that going with this thing? Are you putting it to death yet? Let's help one another in those things. Put those things to death. Paul talks about Colossians also about putting on the things of Christ. And so maybe you need to have some help and go, hey, I'm not sure how to put on these things. I'm not sure how to put on love and care for other people. Will you help me? I see that in you. Will you help me put these things on? 100%. That's why we're here for one another. Not just to sit by each other in a, in a gathering, but to encourage one another along as we go in this life. Let's keep, let's keep going. All this, all the things that we read about and we're seeing here is all powered by the triune God. Look at this. One, Jesus calls for himself a people. Just like he called Peter out of this prison cell and he called him to go and these disciples and the people we're reading about in Acts, he calls himself a people. We're reading about it. We're studying it. Um, we, there's a history of that playing out over the last 2,000 years since Jesus was raised from the dead. It's playing itself out today where Jesus is continuing to call people and making uh, uh, people for himself. Those people that just raised their hands are evidences of the fact that Jesus is still calling a people to himself. How awesome is that that we're still seeing that happen today? We are witnesses of this still unfolding story of the fact that Jesus is making a people. That's awesome stuff. God calls or commands us to pray. To pray for all men. Paul reminds us uh, to do good for everyone, but especially those who are of the household of faith. Look around right now. Just look around and look at other people's faces. Look and see. He calls us to um, uh, do good for everyone, especially of those people you just looked at. Especially those people you just looked at who are of the household of faith. Who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do good for one another as we try to follow Jesus together. Look, the Holy Spirit empowers you and me to do uh, abundantly more than we could ever imagine or think. Preacher, I hear what you're saying, but that ain't me. I mean, I, I hear what you're telling me, but you don't know me, preacher, and I just can't do those things. My life stinks right now, and I just can't do those things. My life is troubled, and I can't do those things. I'm an introvert, and I don't talk to people. I'm an extrovert, and people get tired of me talking to them. You know, whichever end of that spectrum, your own. Wherever you land in that. He empowers you to do more than you can imagine or think. He has not left us to live this life on our own. None of these people that we read about in Acts would have ever done this on their own. Okay? None of them. They would have never done the things that we read about. Only the reason they're doing that is because they are empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit lives within them. He is the one empowering to do this. I'm not asking you to grit your teeth, pull up your bootstraps, strap your belt a little tighter, and, and just growl the whole time you're trying to do something. I'm not asking you to do that. What I am saying, though, if you'll believe that the Holy Spirit power that is within you will empower you to go and do those things, I'm asking you to do those things. Whatever those things are that Jesus calls you to, I don't know what they are. 
I do some of the things that he calls us to, but the, the Spirit empowers us to do those things. Jesus commissions us with the message of the gospel. Matthew chapter 28. Turn with me there to Matthew chapter 28 really quick. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. This is after Jesus has rose from the dead, after he has appeared to many witnesses, and he is speaking to his disciples and many people uh, right before he ascends back to the Father. This is what it says. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And so Jesus left these instructions for his disciples. And we should take those instructions today and listen to them. He says, all the authority has been given to him. He tells us to go. To go be engaged in the life of what it means to follow Jesus. To be engaged as a missionary, as someone who has knows the risen Jesus, who has been filled with the Holy Spirit, who has been born again. He says, go and make disciples. And I'll tell you this. Listen, church, you're always making a disciple. Okay? You're always making a disciple. No matter what you're doing, you're discipling people as people watch your life. Parents, listen. You're making disciples in your home. Good, bad, ugly. Making disciples. You're teaching the people in your home, the people that are closest to you, this is what it looks like in my life. If I call myself a Christian, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus because they're going to see mom and dad as the people that say, hey, we're Christians, and so this must be what it looks like to be a Christian. How's that going in your house? You're making disciples whether you like it or not. So he says make disciples. It's our desire that we make disciples of Jesus, that our lives look so much like Jesus, it's being conformed to the image of Jesus that we are making disciples of Jesus, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us to, part of what preaching is about, part of what your teaching is about, part of what your interaction with others is about, teaching them to observe all the things that Jesus did. He says he's with us to the end of the world. So your calling today is not unlike the same calling that we see in Acts. And so you have a command. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Which means you've got to be changed by the gospel which means you've got to know what the gospel actually is, which means you actually have to speak the gospel message. It's not some, you know, don't be fooled by the thing that says, man, I'll just live my life in a way and that'll be sufficient for people to know and understand what it means to follow Jesus. Should you live your life that way? 100%. But that's not all it calls us to. The, message, the gospel is a message about Jesus. Our lives and our message should align. So align my, li align my life, align my message as P I encounter people with the good news of the gospel. That's our command is to go and make disciples 
of Jesus. Secondly, you have co-laborers. You have people in this with you. You're, you're not, you don't have to do this lone ranger stuff. You don't, you don't have to be alone. You've got people in your home that will help you. You've got people in this church that will help you. You need to be in a gospel community group with people that will help you, will help you fight sin, put sin to death, and at the same time encourage you in what it means to invite people into your life and open your home and to invite people in how to share the gospel and to wrestle with those tough truths that we get an opportunity to talk about. So you have a command and you have co-laborers that will walk with you as you invite people into your life. You have a champion. Hey, look, our, our, our king's alive. I, I have to tell you a quick story. I, it is what it is. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, we were um, uh, talking with some people this a couple weeks ago. Blake and I met with some guys that had reached out to us, and they were Mormons, and they wanted to meet with us. And, and so we said, yeah, sure, we'll have coffee with you. And so we went and had, which Crave, and, uh, oh, no, sorry, went to Starbucks and had coffee with these two dudes. And they were, they were serving their two years of their mission that they're called to serve every, every year. We asked them, Blake and I asked them a lot of questions and asked them a ton of questions. And, you know, they were very articulate in what they knew and what they believed and, and, and very uh, knowledgeable about what they believed. But the, the, the thing we came away with is they have the Bible. They hold on to the Book of Mormon. And so they, they, but they're very committed to what they're doing and they're teaching, they, they believe some very different things about Jesus than what the scripture teaches us. They believe some very different things about salvation than what the scripture teaches us, but they're committed and they're going out. Listen, what I'm saying is you and I have a champion. Our king's alive. Jesus is alive. And so he's our champion. We're not talking about some dead guy that claimed to be a deity. We're talking about the king of kings, the one who has overcome death and hell and the grave. And so we, that's the God we're talking about. Our Savior lives. And so we don't have to talk about something else, some new revelation, something else. We can open the scriptures and talk about Jesus. We can talk about our own lives that have been changed by the gospel. We have a champion who is with us, and we have a cause. And honestly... Uh, uh, is so that the presence of God may increase and so that other people may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And so my call, my call for each of us, church, is to live in this calling. This calling that each of us who are followers of Jesus, each of us who claim the name of Jesus, each of us have been called into this. And so let's live in that calling. Live in this power that we have in the power of the Holy Spirit to make much of Jesus. We ask you every week, what are you? And you say what? Missionaries. missionaries. Then live like a missionary. Live like a missionary. If you say that, live like one. Live sent. That you have been sent by the king with the message from the king that there is hope found in no other except in the resurrected Jesus. This is your calling. Now, some of you, this particular message is not your calling because you're still lost, you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. And so all this may be foreign to you. 
Some of the language could be familiar to you because you've been in church and you've heard preachers talk about this and, and you've heard pastors say some of these words, but you're still lost. You're still dead. Don't lose me now. Stop. I see y'all moving. Stop. <laughs> Listen. You're still lost and you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. And our hope for you today is that you would turn from those sins and, and see the glorious resurrected Jesus for who he is. That he literally lived the life that you'll never live. You can't live a sinless life. You're like, well, I keep the Ten Commandments, preacher. Jesus went further than that and said, it's about the intentions of your heart. It's much more than some action. It's much deeper still. You'll never, ever, none of us, me, you, none of us will ever live up to that on our own. If you're thinking, man, one of these days, preachers, when I die, I'm just going to depend on my goodness outweighing my badness. That's what I'm going to tell God one day. Well, brother, you out of luck. Okay? You're out of luck. Because that gets you nowhere except a one-way ticket to hell. You need the Savior. You need Jesus. You need to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus in repentance and faith and going, I can't do it. Oh, my own. My hope is built on, my hope has to be built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Oh, I, I dare not trust the Swedish frame, meaning I dare not trust anything else. But wholly, fully lean on Jesus' name. He is a solid rock. And so despite your path, listen, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, maybe, maybe the Spirit is even stirring in you now to go, hey, what the preacher's talking about is you. Your heart ought to be doing that for you. You ought to be that scared. It's time. So despite your path, Despite your present, like what is happening even in your life today, despite whatever pushback that you may have on this preacher and this message today, that same God who rescued people, really wretched, sorry people like me, will do the same thing for you. He'll give you a new heart. He'll give you a new life. He'll give you hope. He'll give you joy. That even in the midst of sorrows, there can be joy. He'll give you life everlasting. That same Jesus that we talk about, that we preach about every week will save you today. The Holy Spirit, we believe, will light your flame, will light you up to go and the power of the Holy Spirit with the good news that Jesus rescues sinners. So today, we urge you, Christians, to live sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. Those of you who are outside the household of faith, we don't encourage you to live sent. We encourage you to repent. Trust Jesus. Believe the gospel. That there is hope. Hope. For even people like you today. Let me pray for us.